Hello everyone, and welcome to the June 16th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new Workers' Compensation Appeals Board in-bank decision broadly interprets the definition of a prescription that triggers liability for home health care. Here's what happened in the case of Hernandez versus Geneva Staffing. Neri Hernandez suffered a severe crush injury to her right hand in 2011. During his initial hospitalization, he had three surgeries. Once he was home, he developed a serious infection in his hand, which necessitated a fourth surgery in September 2011. Then, in December 2011, he had a fifth surgery, and now further surgery on applicant's right hand has been recommended. The applicant was cared for during his recuperation at his home by his spouse. A handwritten note on St. Mary's Medical Center letterhead stated, This is to notify that the man has been under the care of Dr. Charles Lee for severe injury to his right hand since July 11, 2011, at which time he has needed constant care from his wife, Adriana Bayona. Mr. Neri Hernandez will need continuous care as his ongoing treatment goes on. What appears to be a signature for Dr. Lee is actually scrawled on the bottom of the letter. Later, Dr. Gordon said in a narrative report that, I do feel that it is reasonable for the patient to have support, transportation, and attendant care at the rate of six hours per day. Hernandez sought an order for home health care services provided by his spouse and an award for retroactive payment from the date of injury. Defendant contended that the report was not a valid prescription for home health care services as it did not specify the type of care or number of hours of care required and that Senate Bill 863 controlled. A findings and award agreed with applicant and ordered payment for 24 hours per day, seven days per week, care from August 2011 to November 2012, and for six hours per day, seven days per week thereafter. Payment was based on the spouse's regular hourly rate of pay at the daycare center where she worked. The WCAB reversed the in-bank decision of Hernandez versus Geneva staffing. Senate Bill 863 imposes conditions which are part of an injured worker's burden of proof for a claim of home health care. The first requires that home health care services be prescribed by a physician. The second condition requires that an employer's liability for home health care services is subject to an official medical fee schedule or Medicare schedule which covers the type of home health care services sought. When a type of services sought is not covered by an official medical fee schedule or Medicare schedule, Labor Code Section 5307.8 applies. The WCAB concluded that the note written by Dr. Lee was sufficient to be deemed a prescription for home health care services within the meaning of Labor Code Section 4600H. But the Workers' Comp Appeals Board went on to conclude that the defendant may have received medical records from the hospital containing a referral or recommendation for home health care. Or, Dr. Lee may have communicated the need for home health services 
at an earlier time. The record does not clearly show the evidence on this topic. Thus, the findings and award was rescinded that the case was returned to the Workers' Comp Appeals Board judge for further development of the record. The Court of Appeal narrowly applied the power press exception to limit the recovery of an injured worker in a Meadpacker case. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Saldago versus Modern Meat Incorporated. Martha Salgado was injured at work when four fingers of her right hand were severed by a cutting blade in a meatpacking machine. Under the power press exception to the workers' compensation exclusivity rule, she cannot recover against her employer unless she can show that she was hurt while working on a power press. Salgado worked for a modern meat as the operator of a labeling machine at their meat packaging facility in San Bernardino. It is a large machine that creates individual sealed packages through a four-step process. In the third step, a sheet of plastic is heated and sealed to, to the first sheet by heat and pressure, and a crosshatch or diamond pattern is embossed into the plastic. Salgado claimed in a civil suit against the employer that the stamping of the pattern into the plastic defined the machine as a power press under the labor code exception. The purpose of the pattern was unclear. Modern Meat speculated that the pattern was decorative, improves grip on the package, or creates a better seal. The packages are separated at the last station by means of a 16-inch serrated blade and a series of circular-shaped knives. Salgado was injured in this last step of the process when she cleared a jam from the machine. She suffered partial amputation of four fingers on her right hand. A safety guard that would likely have prevented her injury had been removed by a line supervisor. In her civil lawsuit against the employer, the trial court granted summary judgment in, the fa in favor of modern meat, finding that the machine was not a power press. Salgado appealed, and the Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal in the unpublished case. Labor Code Section 4558, a power press as any material forming machine that utilizes a die, which is designed for use in the manufacture of other products. The implementing regulations apply only to those mechanically or hydraulically powered machines that shear, punch, form, or assemble metal or other material by means of tools or dies attached to slides. The trial court found that under these definitions, the packing machine was not a power press. Instead, it was a vacuum forming machine with a notable absence of a powerful pressing or shaping motion which can cause a serious crushing injury. The trial court also found that the machine did not employ a die. There is little clear guidance in case law for the application of the power press exception. The Court of Appeal concluded that the fact that a device can inflict a similar injury to those caused by a power press does not allow the court to rewrite the statute to include the machine that caused Salgado's injury. It would be an unreasonable construction of the statute to apply the power press exception to any machine where there is an incidental application of pressure. To do so would make the exception swallow the whole of the workers' compensation system. 
reason and precedent required the court to give a narrow construction to the exception that places this meatpacking machine outside of its coverage. Rapper Mickey Avalon has been sued by his housekeeper who alleges she was electrocuted while scrubbing his dirty oven. Lula Malone alleges she was jolted by an electric current while cleaning and in Avalon's Los Angeles home and insists the appliance and his house was maintained in an unsafe manner. The maid is suing the hitmaker for medical expenses and loss of earnings because Avalon does not have workers' compensation insurance to cover her bills. And now for our fraud report. Criminals love American healthcare for two reasons. First, as Willie Sutton said of banks, it's where the money is. No other country spends nearly as much on pills and procedures. Second, unlike a bank, it is barely guarded. Medicaid doles out $415 billion a year. Medicare, nearly $600 billion. Total health spending in America is a massive $2.7 trillion, or 17% of the GDP. In America, the scale of medical embezzlement is extraordinary. According to the ex-boss of Medicare and Medicaid, America lost between $82 billion and $272 billion in 2011 to medical fraud and abuse. The higher the figure is, as if robbers had made off with the entire output of Tennessee or nearly twice the budget of Britain's National Health Service. Federal prosecutors had over 2,000 health fraud probes open at the end of 2013. A Medicare strike force, which was formed in 2007, boasts of seven nationwide takedowns. In the latest, on May 13th, 90 people, including 16 doctors, were rounded up in six cities, more than half of them in Miami, the capital city of medical fraud. Punishments have grown tougher. Last year, the owner of a mental health clinic got 30 years for false billing. Efforts to claw back stolen cash are highly cost-effective. In 2011 and 2013, the government's main fraud control program recovered $8 for every $1 it spent. As fraud fighting has intensified, dogged by billing has tumbled in areas that were most prone to abuse, such as durable medical and home visits. Home health fraud, such as charging for non-existent visits to give insulin injections, got so bad that the CMS, which runs the programs, called a, mor called a moratorium on enrolling new providers in several large cities last year. Since tighter screening was introduced, under Obamacare, the CMS has stripped 17,000 providers of their license to bill Medicare. Thousands of suppliers also quit after being required to seek accreditation and to post surety bonds of $50,000. Take one popular scam, overbilling for HIV, HIV infusion, and outdated therapy that Medicare still covers despite the existence of cheaper, better alternatives. The scam waned in Florida after a crackdown only to pop up in Detroit, an operation run by relatives of the original perpetrators. As old hustles are rumbled, fraudsters invent new ones. 
Scammers now overbill for real services rather than charging for non-existent ones. That makes them more difficult to spot. Some criminals are switching from cocaine trafficking to prescription drug fraud because the risk-adjusted rewards are higher. The money is still good, the work safer, and the penalties are lighter. The gangs are often bound by ethnic ties, Russians in New York, Cubans in Miami, Nigerians in Houston, and so on and so on. In one fast-growing area of fraud involving pharmacies and prescription drugs, federal investigators have seen caseloads quadruple over the past five years. Elderly patients may receive kickbacks to sell their details to a pharmacist. He will then provide them with drugs they need while billing Medicare for costlier ones. Another scam is to turn a doctor's clinic into a prescription writing factory for painkillers and resell them on the street. A clinic in New York was recently charged with fraudulently producing prescriptions for more than 5 million oxycodone tablets which were sold locally for 30 to 90 dollars each. The alleged conspirators included doctors and traffickers who ran crews of patients so large that long queues sometimes formed outside the clinics. The doctors charged $300 per large prescription. One raked in $12 million. New York's Medicaid sleuths have stepped up spot checks to see if the drugs in the back room square with the invoices. But this is a lot of work. So most outlets are never checked. 70-year-old architect Robert Gunn of Pacific Grove pleaded guilty to one felony count of failure to register as an employer and one misdemeanor count of failing to secure workers' compensation insurance. A Department of Insurance investigation found that Gunn had not purchased workers' compensation insurance prior to an employee's injury. Department of Insurance officials received information that Gunn informed his employees that he did not have workers' compensation insurance, but if he did, he would take the cost of their insurance out of their paychecks. The investigation led to Gunn being interviewed while employing contractors at a rental property. Investigators found that one of Gunn's workers had been injured while on a job and that Gunn paid for him to obtain chiropractic treatments. Gunn pleaded guilty to one felony count of failure to register as an employer and one misdemeanor count of failing to secure workers' compensation insurance coverage. He is scheduled to be sentenced on July 2nd. Five owners and employees of a corona-based paving company have been charged with more than three dozen felony and misdemeanor counts including forgery, workers' compensation fraud, wage theft, and willful misrepresentation of payroll accounts. They are being held at Riverside County Correctional Facilities in lieu of bail amounts ranging from $1.3 million to $3.7 million. The paving companies specialize in retopping streets and parking lots. According to prosecutors, Dozens of current and former employees began filing complaints about two years ago, alleging they were being cheated of wages. The complaints were directed to the Inland Empire Premium Task Force. The resulting probe resulted in a seizure of computers, bank and payroll records, as well as 
other documents that enabled investigators to audit the two companies' activities connected to several hundred projects. In addition to the criminal action, prosecutors have also petitioned the court to freeze $6 million in assets under the defendant's management. A Los Angeles City worker was arrested on suspicion of grand theft and filing a fraudulent insurance claim. 51-year-old Kelvin Piazza of Lakewood was arrested on suspicion of grand theft and filing a fraudulent insurance claim. The fraudulent claim was allegedly associated with a non-industrial injury in July 2010 during his employment as a wastewater collector for the City of Los Angeles Sanitation Department. The investigation revealed that Piazza returned to work full-time in June 2011 and failed to notify Standard Insurance Company of his change of employment status. He continued to receive and cash disability checks totaling nearly $14,000. If convicted, Piazza faces a maximum of five years in state prison. He is currently being held on a $50,000 bail. And in medical news, Biodelivery Sciences announced that the FDA has approved Bunavail for the maintenance therapy of opiate dependence. Bunavail is based on patented drug delivery technology, which facilitates improved absorption of buprenorphine and helps in overcoming some of the administration challenges involved in dosage. Bioavailability, or drug absorbed into the body of buprenorphine, is twice compared to the drug Suboxone, which is the market leader in this category. Bunavale is the first and only film formulation to be approved by the FDA. Biodelivery Sciences intends to launch Bunavale towards the end of the third quarter of 2014. The opiate dependence pharmaceutical market in the United States totals more than $1.7 billion. A new study says that patients given ice packs for the first 24 hours after major abdominal surgeries reported less pain and needed fewer narcotic painkillers. A professor at Emory University in Atlanta led the study. He said, post-operative pain is an unavoidable consequence of major surgery. Although you can make it better with pain medication, those drugs are not without side effects like constipation, drowsiness, and even dependence. The idea of this study was to keep patients out of pain, but not have them suffer from using too many narcotics. The physician could give the patient any medication he wanted, but also just added the ice. Using ice as a treatment for surgical wounds known as cryotherapy is not new. The cold reduces pain by reducing inflammation and swelling, which lets more oxygen flow to the cells. At the same time, it slows down the metabolism of a cell so that less oxygen is needed. It also makes the nerve endings less sensitive to the pain. Cryotherapy is commonly used after orthopedic and hernia procedures. The researchers recruited 55 patients scheduled for major abdominal op operations, mostly to remove cancers of the liver, pancreas, colon, and other organs. They were randomly assigned two groups. 
The cryotherapy group would get ice for their wounds after their procedure, while the comparison group would not get ice at all. Immediately after surgery, members of the cryotherapy group were given their ice packed to wear over their wound for a full 24 hours. After the first 24 hours, the patients could use the ice packs only when they wanted to. For the three days following their surgeries, the patients rated their pain level twice a day on a scale of 0 to 10. Their use of narcotic painkillers was also recorded during that period. Patients in the cryotherapy group had lower pain scores than in the comparison group. The researchers also found that the patients in the cryotherapy group used less medication. 81% of the cryotherapy group said the ice brought them some relief and 76% said they would use ice packs if they had another surgery. Safety was a very important part of the experiment. At $2 per ice pack, the treatment was also cost-effective. Cryotherapy should be complementary to other pain management strategies because it is easily affordable, well-received by patients, and has minimal to no toxicity. And in other news, the NFL considered expanding the playoffs one of a number of issues on their agenda for the spring league meeting. But the owners are expected to move carefully. The issue of workers' compensation benefits may be the primary roadblock to the owners adding two teams to the playoff field for 2015. The NFL Players Association has stood in staunch opposition of a bill introduced in the Louisiana state legislature that would limit workers' compensation benefits. The union has opposed similar legislation in California, Arizona, and North Carolina. The controversial Louisiana bill has been pulled from consideration for the current legislative session. Union sources say the Players Association is not necessarily opposed to expanding playoffs, which would bring financial and added job security benefits for players. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones said that he believes the league could move forward unilaterally, but the union disagrees. Union sources say it would constitute a change in work conditions, and those types of changes must be collectively bargained. Two league sources said that the NFL doesn't plan to force expanded playoffs. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the Work Comp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd Skarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.